might take you a week. Let's do it right, man. It might take me an hour. Safe. But we're all gonna have our breaking point. Thoughts? It looks pretty good. Have you guys watched, um, what's that book they made into a movie, into a TV series with Handmaid's Peggy? Tale. Yeah, Handmaid's Tale. Oh no, I haven't. Oh, you guys we've got feeling? two very decent options Yes, we do, now. which is great. It's one's different. docker, one's drama. Yeah. Should we do a coin so, flip? Yeah, let's do a coin flip. <laughs> Confession tapes. Confession tapes. Okay. Is everyone okay with that? Yeah. Yes. The coin has spoken. Welcome to Superfad, a podcast from Stuff. I'm Laura Walters. And I'm Katie Kenny. In this podcast series, we delve into the weird and wonderful world of trends. Last week, we looked at DNA mapping, and today we're talking about binge-watching TV. Well, we're actually doing it. Yeah, what what you just heard was Katie, myself, and Alex Liu, who's a huge movie buff, deciding which TV show we were going to binge on. And in the end, we decided on a true crime doco series, I guess, called Confession Tapes. Mm, it wasn't the best choice, but we will talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, more, more on that revelation later. And and this, um, this TV series was on Netflix, the TV streaming service. And Netflix is basically the reason that we're doing this episode on binge watching tv because while watching tv isn't new how we're watching it has certainly changed in the past two decades we've seen netflix transform from a california-based mail order dvd outfit to a huge streaming service with more than 100 million subscribers and it's totally revolutionized how we watch television yeah absolutely it's it means that now you can watch episodes back to back you don't have to wait for it to buffer and there are no ads there are no ads (laughs) But the question on every Kiwi's mind, Katie, is, is my addiction normal? There's actually information to suggest whether it is normal, and that's collected by these streaming services. So we, in this episode, talked to Lightbox, a New Zealand streaming service, who can tell us exactly what Kiwis like you are watching and when you like to watch it. So I'll know if I'm normal or not. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And in this episode, we're going to have a look at the social implications of TV binging. So we will hear from the nation's favourite TV reviewer, Kate Roger, who is a huge binger and she's going to talk a little bit about her experience and the toll that binging has taken on her love life. Man, it's depressing. Does this feel different to you guys from a regular binge because it's like it's quite intellectually consumed. Oh is that all you mean because it's a work thing? Yeah. It's better than a regular binge because of all this food. Yeah. What you're hearing now is us sitting on the couch, binge watching confession tapes. And we had a whole lot of food and drink on hand to help us along the way on about a five and a half hour journey. Something like that. We wanted to be as comfortable as possible. Despite that though, it did not take very long to get sick of sitting down. Well, we felt a little bit guilty because it was so sunny outside. It does look nice outside. <sighs> I don't know if I'm tired from just like being genuinely tired throughout the day or I'm tired from like staring at the TV. <laughs> yeah. It is tiring when you're not moving very much because mm. your blood circulation decreases. And 
Um, you know, you're not pumping as much oxygen around your body, so your brain's not getting as much. How long do we actually have to do this for, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not have to, but... How long should we do it for? Um... TV binging might sound like the absolute dream, but there are quite a few downsides, and someone who knows a bit about this is News Hub Entertainment Editor Kate Roger. Kate spends her days watching movies on the big screen and reviewing them for work, and when she comes home, she watches TV on the small screen. She is a self-confessed TV addict, and it seems this is something she's passed on to her five-year-old. My mother would only let us watch half an hour of television a day, and I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, how I would pore over which it would be, whether it would be the love boat or Batman, because uh, we were only ever given that half hour. And that's changed considerably. Clearly now I can binge watch 24 hours a day if I want to. I'm a grown woman. But I have a five-year-old in the house, uh, and also some of the time a 10-year-old in the house. We have an iPad, uh, we have smartphones, and we have Netflix and Sky uh, on TV. And it's, it's almost an addictive sensation. It's a conversation uh, that my partner and I have all the time now because Max will literally say, I want to I wanna watch TV as soon as he wakes up sometimes and when he gets home from kindy. Uh, so l- just in the last month, we've axed all screens uh, in the mornings. Uh, there's nothing. Uh, and in the evenings, uh, we're limiting it. Netflix has become so ubiquitous. It even has its own special internet slang term, Netflix and chill, which is really a euphemism for casual sex. But Kate has a different experience when it comes to Netflix and chill. And actually, I wanted to talk about this without wanting to get too personal. It's We fall asleep so often now on the sofa. We'll wake up, the lights are on, the TV's still going, it's one o'clock in the morning, and we stagger off to bed. It's not very sexy, is it? I wonder whether we're going to look at some situation that's going to evolve, which would just be art imitating life, imitating art with handmade handmaid's towel. We're running out of population because nobody's having sex anymore and making babies to binge watch. Um, so that's kind of something that I'm not going to lie is actually a conversation it's just like okay I know we're only halfway through Stranger Things I know we've got the last season of Homeland to do I'm really into Mindhunter but why don't we um, just have a glass of wine on the deck and then go to bed imagine doing that (laughs) a wink wink so the whole Netflix and chill thing is a fascinating um, conversation. Do you think the industry's safe functioning as it currently does? Oh, gosh, any day of the week there's different answers to that question and you've got bigger brains with bigger wallets than me sitting on top of the building at TV3 trying to solve the future of what free-to-air TV means because we are all binge-watching. Our expectations have changed. I don't. I know I don't have to do anything at any time. I know I can either mice diet, I can watch it on demand, I can watch it on probably YouTube if I give it half a minute. Uh, I don't illegally download, but everybody can and lots of people do. If you want to watch something, you can. You can watch it whatever time you want on whatever device you want as a rule, uh, and that will become more and more so. So it's uh, how it's, the delivery method is an interesting one, and it's having obviously a massive impact when it comes to the cinema. I'm old school. I want to watch Thor Ragnarok on the biggest screen with the best sound. Uh, I want to be immersed in a dark room. I want to watch the credits go up. Um, I'm still going to watch my cinema. Uh, in a cinema, that's the way it was made. If you think about how TV shows are these days, like if you went, I watched, rewatched The Sopranos recently because my flatmate hadn't seen it, and like, great show, yeah, and it's not cliffhangery at all until like the last season. 
Right. At this point, we're about four hours deep in and our binge probably session. Probably a couple of beers in. Yeah, and we started pondering the change in the traditional story arc. Yeah. And when you think about TV shows these days, um, yeah, there's like, especially Netflix produced shows, they always end on like a very intense cliffhanger. So you just yeah. continue So you just watching. keep going. Why and it's finding its way into TV as well. Mm. What I ended up doing, because I got super obsessed with Homeland, but what I ended up doing was, because every show ends with such a cliffhanger, I, which then like propels me into the next episode, I actually stopped watching halfway through an episode. When there was like a lull of that, yeah, okay, so I'm you'd not, be like, I'm yeah, engaged. I'm gonna now force myself to turn it That's off. That's really interesting. Mm. So they've changed the format, which actually means you might not. I didn't finish yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's like a, there's like a fine line between like exhausting your audience out and like letting them off the hook. As well as changing the story arc, Netflix has also changed the industry. There was a lot of talk when this um, type of TV consumption first came out that it was commercial suicide and none of the free-to-air channels were keen on it. But of of course, Netflix said that this makes sense, this is how people want to consume their TV and it fits in with their lives. Whereas the likes of TV1, TV3 and obviously the big overseas networks said, now there's actually still a lot to be said for the the week-to-week rollout of shows and an obvious example of that is Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's a good example where there's so much information and intensity in each episode that people like a lot of time to absorb it and discuss it. And, and get over the trauma of seeing all of their favourite characters killed off. I actually don't watch it. It's way too violent for me. But um, Netflix is notoriously secretive about its data, but it has released some ratings which give us an indication of what subscribers like to watch the fastest. And they've released this kind of binge race list which shows that People most quickly get through half-hour shows, which are obviously really easy to mm-hmm. just continue yep. watching. Yeah, and um, the types of genre that people consume fastest include horrors, thrillers, sci-fi shows. Yeah, and and we know from what Netflix has already said that the first season is consumed what within a couple of weeks, within one week, within people one week. Can, yeah, yeah, that's the average amount of time they watch. Two hours a day, normally it's consumed within a week. And a second season, if there is a second season, is usually consumed even faster. And you think about Stranger Things that was recently released, and that, that second season, I, I watched it within a week, and I imagine a lot of people were doing it within one or two days. I watched it within a weekend. It's <laughs> <laughs> a sad weekend. Um, and slows, shows that people consume at a slower clip include things like political dramas, comedies, historical dramas. There's obviously not such an urgency to get through those. Mm. And, and another genre that's worth mentioning is true crime there's it's surged in popularity recently and um netflix is, has been a big help with with that i think totally you've got shows like making a murderer the truth. it was extraordinarily disturbing we went through this 20 years ago the keepers this goes bigger and deeper than we can imagine this that one that we watched confession tapes All of us could falsely confess to something katie now is probably the right time to mention that we probably did not pick the right show to binge watch no it was it was true crime it was very gory. It was very intense. It was pretty draining. And I guess with each episode being on a on a different topic. There was no continuity. Exactly. No storyline whatsoever. No, no, not at all. To be honest, and I know I've actually mentioned this and I should have brought it up at the time, I wasn't ever keen on watching that show. I wish we hadn't have done the coin flip. I wanted to watch Handmaid's Tale. You were so keen on the coin flip at the time. <laughs> I was just hoping it would land on Handmaid's Tale. 
Yeah. I thought you liked true crime though as a genre. No, not really. I just don't. I don't really like it as a genre at all. I'd never normally gravitate towards a true crime show. But you love The Keepers so much. I like The Keepers for the nuns. (laughs) I like the religious element. That's a line I never thought I would hear. So we know what customers are doing all the time, which sounds a bit big brother, but we don't know who those customers are. So, you know, we don't know if you're, you know, Sally White that lives in Remuera or anything like that. We just know that this particular user ID is watching this particular show at this particular time. This is Hema Patel. She's the general manager at Lightbox, a New Zealand streaming service. So having being able to look at that kind of data on a daily basis then makes us go, oh, okay, so this show is doing particularly well. Um, why is that? And maybe we need to buy more shows like that one. When we think about um, really successful shows recently, like The Handmaid's Tale, we were looking at that, tracking that show online for six months before we even bought it. Oh, and so wow. we can start to, yeah, we can start to get a real sense of what customers want. Like if you think about the time of day that people are watching free to air, it's kind of, um, you know, usually between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. That's sort of, you know, that's like the news. It might be Shortland Street. It might be, um, you know, some of those current affairs shows, those kinds of things. But our peak time is um, sort of between 8.30 and 9.30. And so people are doing both. They're, They're like catching up on the news while they're eating dinner or whatever. Once the um, children are asleep, typically, if they're a family, um, online is where all the business is. Really quickly, what can you tell me about um, how quickly Lightbox has kind of grown and what you think is driving this growth of on-demand television? Sure. Um, our CEO recently announced that we've hit um, 300,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. We um, that's, We've doubled our numbers year on year. Wow. So the growth that we're seeing is just absolutely ridiculous. And sometimes we can't believe it either. But it's really just a really great heartbeat on how customers or Kiwis are looking at TV now. For your, you know, from your perspective, obviously you guys offer a, a big mix of international shows versus the New Zealand produced content. Mm. Is there more of an appetite for that international content, and is it going to make it harder for these locally produced shows to get, you know, a showing in that market? That, so that international content has been really important as a draw card to bring customers in for the first time to introduce them right. to on-demand viewing, but more and more and more increasingly. We, New Zealanders, want to see people like us on the screen. And local has been a, we've got a very um, aggressive strategy to work into local. You know, we're a New Zealand business. We employ New Zealanders. We pay tax in New Zealand. We should be buying New Zealand content and making it ourselves. Like, I feel like that's almost like my personal duty. You know, what do you think is driving the growth of on-demand TV? I think was one of your questions earlier. And I think it's just people wanting to watch TV on their own terms. Mm. You know, when I people are increasingly busy and, and, you know, within Lightbox we talk about people wanting to make the most of their downtime. And I think that, you know, it sort of comes back to valuing, valuing people's time and giving them bloody great content, mm. really great shows, um, so they can, you know, feel like they've had a really fun evening. How long, how long would you guys usually, like when you get really hooked on a show, realistically, how long could you sit and watch it without stopping? Well, Homeland is the only show I've been like really hooked on. I was pretty hooked on Mad Men actually. 
So what, like three hours or something? Or with Homeland, if I have a lot of ironing to do, I'll set the iron up in front of the <laughs> <laughs> and do like a week's worth of shirts, two people's shirts. And the mm-hmm. episodes are like an hour. Um, oh, I'd, yeah. So, sometimes, if it's a really bad day outside, I watch mm. like three episodes in a row. Yeah, I reckon I do about that as well. I'm the same though. I don't, I don't iron. I'm really bad at ironing, but I'll like set it up and do, you know, cook dinner mm. and yeah, do the washing, folding, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the last like binge I did, and it probably would have been recently with American Vandal. <laughs> and I think I the most I didn't like one session was three. Yeah. And they were like what thirty minutes each, thirty five minutes. So yeah, you can you can binge, but there must be like a an, a point where you naturally get to and you just can't yeah. stare at the screen. Mm. In the end, we watched around about five hours. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And at the start, we thought it was going to be the dream assignment, watching eight hours of television in work time with all-you-can-eat snacks. But we became pretty tired pretty quickly, and we decided we'd just had enough of those screens. And it it begs the question, you know, how how long do people binge for? That's certainly a lot longer than I would have ever been allowed to binge for as a child. Um, Not that. I think shows ran for that long anyway, unless you're getting the Sunday morning omnibus. That's true, the home and away <laughs> omnibus. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it was easy back then for our parents to regulate how much we watched because there was one television in the lounge and that was it. Whereas now you've got the average young New Zealander who spends nine hours a day looking at a screen of some sort. Four out of five young people have a smartphone. Yeah, um, and, and there are there are screens in every room as well. It's not just one big television in no. one room. There are There are smartphones, there are iPads all throughout the house and it's not just difficult to regulate how much people are watching but also what they're watching. It must be the modern parenting dilemma. I don't know how you could do it. We've talked a lot about the anti-social side of binge watching but there are also social benefits and I guess the, I guess the obvious one is that everyone's watching the same shows and it always gives you a, a common topic to talk about especially when you walk into a room full of strangers. Exactly. You don't need to discuss politics or money or any of those fraught topics anymore. You can just talk to someone who's watched a Netflix show that you've probably seen and you've suddenly got something in common. Yeah, and there have also been some huge shows that have had real-life impacts. I mean, we've, we spoke about true crime earlier and things like Making a Murderer, which was um, a huge success for Netflix, had real-life consequences for the people involved. Mm, absolutely. And even other shows about more social subjects such as 13 reasons why about youth suicide you know whether or not you think that it was a good idea to create the show it certainly got people right around the world talking about it yeah and that can only be a good thing you know starting those conversations about topics that really matter and affect everyone can can only be a good thing but when you have a reach of 109 million subscribers it it does give you a big platform and a lot of power a lot of responsibility as well yeah that's probably a discussion for another day We would love to hear your thoughts on this issue. Are you a binger? Do you lie at home for hours and hours in your pyjamas watching your favourite show? To learn more about our TV watching journey and Kate Rogers' addiction, you can go to the Superfair page on Stuff, stuff.co.nz forward slash superfad. 
You can also join our Superfad Facebook group where Laura and I will tune in to answer any questions and share relevant stories and photos from the recording process. We'll also be doing Facebook Live videos every Monday where we discuss in more details the issues raised. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kenny Katie. And I'm at Walters Laura. Thanks for listening to this episode of Superfad. Tune in next week where we find out whether a fad can be 2,500 years old. This episode was made by us. Alex Liu is our technical producer and John Hardevelt is our executive producer.